You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So I just finished my last series, and I'm starting a new series with you, and it's about being an overcomer, becoming an overcomer, and we're going to be looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Now, i got to stop and say there that, first of all, anytime you hear somebody talking about the book of Revelation, people immediately get weird, okay? It's just the way things are and the way people can sometimes be, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But we're going to be focusing on the message to the churches because this is a year in which we're trying to focus on what does God want us to do? What does the Lord want us to be about? And and how does he want us to serve and follow after him? And so this morning we're going to be looking at that today. And my hope today is that after listening and going through this series that you will feel the courage and the strength to overcome. You know, the Lord does not want cardboard cutout Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had like a cardboard cutout, sometimes of a famous person, sometimes of a celebrity, and you stand next to that cutout and get your picture taken, and it looks like them, but all it really takes is just one push, and over it goes. You know, we can look like Christians. We can present in such a way where we look like we're strong. We look like we're able. But then the real challenge is whether our life holds up when it pushes on us and whether we'll stand the test of time. So my prayer and my hope for you today is that you'll become an overcomer, someone who is not easily knocked over by the things of this world, but that you become strong in your faith. Let's open in a word of prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, we just look to you. Lord, I acknowledge my inability to communicate clearly, Lord, and I ask that you would work through me. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word is speaking today, and may it move us and change us from who we are into who you want us to be. Speak to us now by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 9 onward. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, I'll give you a quick crash course in that. How about we do that? So, Because sometimes we don't understand exactly what the book's about, what its purpose was. But the writer of Revelation is the Apostle John. Now, you might remember John as one of the two sons of thunder. James and John were two of Jesus' closest disciples. In fact, it's said of John that John is the disciple that Jesus loved. If you see pictures of the Last Supper, you'll see everyone reclining at the table, but there's one disciple that's particularly close to Jesus. He's leaning on Jesus' shoulder, and he's asking about, well, who is it that will betray you, Lord? And he's close to the heart of Jesus. That's John, and that's who's writing the book of Revelation. John is currently, as he writes this, in prison on the Isle of Patmos. This is an exile island where they would send people to, is kind of like a penal colony in which they would send you to be in prison and to work a labor camp there. And it's while he's there that John receives a revelation, a vision of Jesus Christ. John is there because he happened to be sent to jail for telling people about Jesus. And so he's in exile on this island. And not only is Revelation the last book of the Bible, it is actually the last book of the Bible that was written It was written in AD 90 and is the last New Testament book. Now we see that uh, from John's Gospels, we know how close John was to Jesus. We know that they were 
very close. We know that they are uh, one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, one of the three, Peter, James, and John, that went with Jesus everywhere. And yet, when Jesus appears to John in the book of Revelation, John, even though he's friends with Jesus, even though he's close to Jesus, even though he's the disciple that Jesus loves, he is terrified at the appearance of Jesus. And with good reason. Let's take a look at it. We'll take a look at, uh, starting with, um, I lost my place here. (laughs) Starting in verse 12. And it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. And his hair was white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like fine brass refined in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as bright as the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Well, yeah, of course. But he laid his hand on me and he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and now, behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death in my hand. John didn't recognize this Jesus. This is the glorified Son of God in all of his radiance, immensely powerful. It says that his voice was like the sound of many rushing waters. He's bright, he's radiant, he's powerful. John is terrified for his life. He doesn't recognize this Jesus. But this is the glorified Jesus. But one of the wonderful things about this is that in this moment of terror, when John falls down on his feet before him, worshiping him and being afraid, a familiar phrase that Jesus often used when he walked the earth is used towards John when he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, do not be afraid, it is I. Those are the same words that were used by Jesus when he was walking on the water, when the wind and the waves were raging around. It was those words that he spoke to the disciples to comfort them in the midst of their fear. Can I challenge you today with the thought that the same magnificent, powerful, glorious, and beautiful Jesus, who is powerful in all of his radiance, is the same one that is your friend. The same one who puts his hand on your shoulder and says, do not be afraid, it is I. And then he tells him to write. In verses 19 and 20, he says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so what he tells him is to write this to not just one church, but to all the churches. This message isn't just for one church, it's for, uh, but everything in the book of Revelation is written to all the churches. It was for the churches then, and it's for the churches today as well, because you can find churches like the seven churches anywhere in the world today, and even in our own country. But he tells them to write the things that you've seen. And most uh, authors and scholars break down the book of Revelation this way. The things that you have seen, in other words, the things that you've seen in the past, the things that are now, which has to do with the present, 
and the things that have yet to take place which have to happen in the future. This is how some scholars interpret the book of Revelation to being. So there's parts of this that have to do with what's already happened, the things that are happening now, and the things that will happen in the future. Now, you might have noticed, as we were reading through it, that there's some symbols and some very vivid pictures in the book of Revelation. And people get weird about those sorts of things. They start to assign meaning to things that were never meant to be meanings. Uh, some people take things literally. But you have to understand that the uh, book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. For example, if you read in chapter 4, the throne room of, of, of God's uh, kingdom and the throne room of heaven, we see that they say, well, who is worthy to o- open the scroll? And then it says, a lamb appears with seven eyes and seven horns and a, and a wound upon his head. And it says that he's worthy to, to take on the scroll and open it. Now, that is to symbolize Jesus. Now, we know that we don't interpret these things literally because if you saw Jesus and he looked like that, that'd be kind of scary, don't you think? My Jesus doesn't look like that, okay? But it's symbolic of who he is and what he's done. So it's important to understand that in the book of Revelation. So if we look at some of the symbols, Jesus himself says what the symbols are. He says that the seven stars are seven angels. Now, there's two interpretations to this. You can either look at it one way where some people say, well, these are actual angels that God assigns from heaven to each church. That's one interpretation. But there's a second interpretation, too, because if you understand that the Greek word for angel is angelos, which means messenger, it makes more sense when you say to the messengers of the seven churches, write these things. And the seven lampstands symbolize the churches. And so this message is to the churches. Now, anytime you look at the scriptures, we see as we look at the different parts of the scriptures, as we see that God begins to pour out his judgment upon the earth, he doesn't ask an angel to do something. He just simply tells them, doesn't he? He commands them to do it, and they do it. He doesn't say to the angels, hey, you're not doing a great job here. Improve these things and change them. No, he simply commands them to do it, and they, out of obedience, do it. So does it make sense to think that these are angels, heavenly angels, or does it make more sense to think that these are messengers, these are pastors of these lampstands, which happen to represent churches? Because he's saying to them, if you don't change these things, in other words, messenger, church, if you don't change these things, your church will cease to exist. The lampstand will be removed from its place. So if we understand it that way, it's a little bit easier for us to comprehend. He writes these uh, letters to the seven churches, and it's not just circulated to that church. What's being said to each of the churches goes to every single church so they can read what the other churches are doing, and how they need to change and improve. And so he writes to the seven churches of Philadelphia, writes to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the purpose of Revelation is not to make you scared. Okay? Remember that when you listen to YouTube preachers. Okay? The purpose of Revelation is not for you to go hide somewhere. <laughs> purpose of revelation is to encourage you to uplift you and to strengthen you for the road ahead and so he writes to each church and at the end of each of those uh, letters to each of the churches he says to him who overcomes i will give now what is an overcomer an overcomer means someone who prevails in spite of difficulty 
in spite of opposition and weaknesses. That's an overcomer. An overcomer is a person who defeats someone or something in a conflict or a struggle. I would challenge you today, if you're here in this place and you're listening to my voice, God wants you to overcome the things that have always beaten you. To overcome the things that you've always fall prey to and that you always end up being a victim to. God wants you to become an overcomer. An overcomer is someone who succeeds in dealing with and gaining control over a problem or difficulty. That, my friend, is an overcomer. Jesus wants his church to be people who are overcomers, not to give in and give up when challenges happen, but rather to be faithful, diligent, and resilient, people who give their all for God and won't go down without a fight. In 2024, God is not looking for pushover Christians with cardboard cutout Christianity, where just the latest wind of doctrine or the latest problems of this world blow you over. Or the most recent challenges in your life or the smallest criticism from a friend or neighbor doesn't knock you over. I'm telling you today that there is different stuff in an overcomer. And God wants you to be of that sterner stuff. Jesus speaks to his churches and he gives to each of his churches, he tells them about the need to overcome. And what were some of the things that, you know, the churches had to overcome in John's day? They had to overcome their culture. In their culture, it was weird to be a Christian. In their culture, it wasn't uh, okay. It was out of the ordinary to worship one God instead of many. In their culture uh, that they lived in, it was very permissive of certain things, that they allowed morality was whatever you wanted it to be. And sometimes Christians would swim against the current and go against the grain. The churches in John's day were also fighting to overcome corruption. Can you believe it? There was false teachers even in John's day. Can you believe there was false teachers even in the beginnings of the early church? Can you imagine that? Go figure. There are people that go from church to church, claim to be apostles, claim to be greater than the 12 apostles, to have a different revelation from them, and they would take advantage of the women in that church, and that they would extort money from the church and steal from the church, that they would teach doctrines that were divisive, and they would cause people to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus. That was what was going on, and that sort of thing was starting to come into the church and threaten to corrupt it. The church in John's day was dealing with conflict. There were places in Asia Minor where these churches were, where it was dangerous to be a Christian. Uh, the Apostle Paul encountered it, that there were Judaizers, people who were zealous for Judaism, who would persecute Christians and have them put into prison or put to death. The Gentile culture, the Greeks didn't understand them, and they were bad for business because they were preaching Jesus, and when they preached Jesus, people left idols behind, and they no longer bought idols, and they no longer went to temple worship, and so they were, there's difficulty in the culture. There were times, too, where people who were uh, overseers of the church, in fact, the bishop of the church in Smyrna, was martyred for his faith. So these were difficult times to be a Christian, and they were times that were fraught with conflict. These are the challenges that were going on in John's day. That's a lot to overcome, especially when the church has felt the pressure of everyone against them, but yet Jesus encourages them to stand firm and overcome 
John's letter would be welcome words to weary souls. I pray that the words of Revelation today would be welcome words to a weary soul and that you might find hope in it. Each letter to each of the churches contained three things. You can jot these things down. The first thing is this, a commendation. This is what they were doing well. A correction. This is what they weren't doing well. And a reward. A promise to the Christian and the church who overcomes. So have you ever had a quarterly evaluation at work? Maybe they promised you you're supposed to have one and you haven't had one, but the way it's supposed to work is that you're brought in every three to six months. You sit down with your supervisor, your boss, and they sit down, and they usually go do it this way, don't they? They say, hey, listen, here's what you're doing well. They usually start off with the soft lob of things that you're doing well, and then they get to the meat of the part where they want to tell you how to do your job better, right? Like they say, yeah, you're doing really good, and I think you, you, know, you smile great, you dress well for work, but you know what? You need to work harder. You know, something like that. They kind of always start, always start off with the good. They worked away into the things that need changing, and then there's a promise of bonus or incentive or reward. And so that's what the Lord is doing here. He's looking at each of the churches and saying, listen, you're doing some things well. There's some things that you're not doing well, but I want to instruct you to stay faithful. And if you overcome these things, there's a reward that's waiting for you. We're going to look at the first of the seven churches, the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the first church uh, is a church that Paul planted during his missionary journeys. Um, after he left that church, he gave it to Timothy, the pastor. And the book of Ephesians in your New Testament is addressed to that church. So that is the church we're talking about here. It's a church that's uh, in a port of a major city. Uh, it is wealthy. It boasted one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple to the goddess Diana was there. It is probably the most prominent church in Asia Minor. But what does Jesus have to say to this important church? Let's take a look in the scriptures again. Look at Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Great. It says, to the angel, or you could say messenger, of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, or churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. This is the correction part. That you have forsaken your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's the reward that's promised. So what's the commendation? He says, you guys are working so hard. You know, the church in Ephesus had been around for 40 years at this point. And they worked hard. They, were, they served the Lord tirelessly and faithfully. They preached, they served, they evangelized and discipled, and they met needs wherever they were. Can I share with you a principle of what it means to be an overcomer? An overcomer works hard. Don't sit back in life and blame the rest of the world for what you're going through if you don't work hard. 
Sometimes we live in a world which is a victim mentality, but the church in Ephesus worked hard. They worked hard for the church, they worked hard for each other, and they worked hard for the Lord. If you want to be an overcomer, God recognizes hard work. In fact, Paul would write that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That seems like a principle where you're like, well, that seems cruel by saying if you're able to, you should. And it's a commendable quality. Secondly, they were patient. They were patient in trials, tribulations, and difficulties. You know what? An overcomer is patient. Trusting in the Lord's timing and being faithful to him. Even when people were against them and they faced trying situations, they remained patient. Trusting God and and resting on his promises that he would come through for them. To trust God in difficult circumstances requires patience. There are no shortcuts in God's plan for your life. Even if you try to accelerate it, you are not going to make it go faster than the way that God intends it to go. There's time and time again throughout Scripture. Did you know that when the people of Israel were set free from bondage in Egypt and they wandered through the wilderness, there was a period of time that it would have been shorter for them to go through the region of the Philistines to get to the promised land. And that would have been easy. You could just cross through the land. But you know what? They weren't quite ready for the armies of the Philistines yet. And so the Lord didn't take them through that way lest they tasted battle, got afraid, and went back. Would they eventually face the Philistines? Of course, or David and Goliath, right? You read that story in Scripture? That's a Philistine giant versus a shepherd boy with a sling and a rock. So we know that story. So there would be a time in which they would face them. It's just not yet. Can I challenge you today to not try and rush your not yet with God? The good plans that he has for you, the promises that he has for you require patience, and there's no shortcut to getting to where he wants you to go. An overcomer is patient. Another thing we noticed, they had high standards. They didn't put up with evil people. They didn't put up with evil practices. They lived their life with a standard of holiness. They have a reverence for God and a sensitivity to things that might be sinful. When teachers came to them, they didn't just gladly swallow what they were teaching, but tested them against what the scriptures say. Can I challenge you in that too? Next time you're tempted to listen to that YouTube preacher or that Instagram uh, influencer who wants to scare you with things about the world that you shouldn't even think about, but just think about, can I tell you today that it's hard enough to just follow Jesus and be normal? Never mind thinking about all the other things that people want you to worry about. Can I challenge you today, follow the Lord and test what people are saying on their feed with what does the scriptures say? And I'm not talking about taking a scripture out of context and saying, well, this is what that means. What did it mean to the original writers? What was the intent of the scripture writers when they wrote it? The church in Ephesus tested what they were hearing against what God's word says. And when it didn't stand up to what God's word says, they said, you need to get out of here. And like now, I wish we would do that sometimes. Just get out of here. What are you trying to pull here, you know? In fact, verse 6 uh, you might say, well, what's this thing about the Nicolaitans? You know, the Nicolaitans were people that followed a deacon named Nicholas. Nicholas is one of the seven deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6. By this time, Nicholas had p- departed 
from Orthodox faith and started teaching heresy. And because he was a deacon, because he was a spirit-filled deacon at one point in time, people might be inclined to listen to what he had to say. But he says, you saw through the deception and had nothing to do with them. They were wise. They did not embrace the false teaching. If you want to be an overcomer, can I tell you today, have high standards for yourself and for service to God. You will never be disappointed if you keep high standards for yourself and high standards and you're following after the Lord. It's when we lower our standards that we encounter disappointment. It's when we lower our standards that we fall into deception. It's when we tolerate foolishness that we find ourselves going down a path that Christ never meant for us to go. Overcomers live by God's standards in everything they do. They don't settle for less than God's best for their life. This is what they were doing well, but there are areas that needed improvement. Verses 4 and 5 said that they had one thing against them. They forgot about their first love. They had forgotten their first love. Now, I'm pretty sure they hadn't forgotten who Jesus was. I'm pretty sure they hadn't forgotten who he is. But they had forgotten to love the one that they were working for. They had gotten away from the motivating force behind what they were doing for God. They're forgetting why they were doing it and who they were doing it for. That can happen to us as Christians. It really can. Where you get so used to doing something that you don't even think about why you did it in the first place. Why everything we should do should be out of love for God. Sometimes we can forget why we're working. I'll give you an example from family. There are times where you can be so busy you can work 60, 70 hours a week, and you would, if someone were to ask you why you're working, you say, I'm working for my family. I'm working to give them a better life. But then your family never sees you. Your wife and your kids never see you. They grow up without you. And they don't really want all the things that you're trying to get for them. They just want you. But they don't have you because you're working for them, but you've forgotten the relationship aspect with them and with and your love for them. That's what they want more than anything else. An example from marriage. If you look back on pictures of people who've been married for a long time, you ever looked at the, the pictures from when they were dating? So fun to do that because whether they're always well-dressed, they're thin, they're you know, well-manicured, you know, they look really good, they took care of themselves, you know, and so like, and then they got married. They get married, and they're like, I don't need to try anymore because, like, I got them. I got her, right? So, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. And it's interesting to watch, like, what happens with a married couple after they've been married for a few years. All you young people looking forward to get married, it's like, learn from this, okay? Take care of yourself in your relationship. Do your wife a favor. Take care of yourself. Do your husband a favor. Take care of yourself, okay? But you see them, they kind of let go of things. They they. They don't take care of themselves. They wear sweats everywhere. They don't cut their hair. They don't trim their beard. You know, they don't, they don't do anything. To, like, I'm not talking about you have to look like a model. I'm not talking about that you have to be on the cover of GQ. I'm just talking about, like, just take care of yourself. And then, like, we get too comfortable with each other. You know, you don't go out and do the things that you used to do. You don't, you don't tell the person you love them anymore. You don't give them a hug. You don't wish them well as they're heading out the door. You don't smile at them when you hand them their tea 
or their coffee in the morning. What happened? You drifted apart. You love them. You're doing things for them, but there's not that closeness that you used to have. Forgetting your first love can be easy. Sometimes our love for each other wanes. And you might think that's never possible. You know, you're in your 20s and 30s getting married. It's like, I can never not love them. I just love them. You love them passionately. But we are creatures of habit and comfort. When we get comfortable, we get careless with the love that's been given to us. The church in Ephesus had forgotten the Lord and why they were doing things. They weren't engaging in sin. They were morally and pure and good. They were doing everything right, but their sin was the sin of neglect. They had neglected to stay in love with Jesus and in fellowship with him. A church that loses their love for God will soon lose its love for people. I'll say it again. A church that loses its love for God will eventually lose its love for people. Remember, Jesus said, if you're not careful, I'll come and remove your lampstand. Can I tell you that all the seven churches in Asia don't exist anymore? There comes a point in the history of every church where if we stop loving people, people will stop coming to church and those doors will close. We have to keep loving people. Not only our own people, but people outside of these doors. Not just the people that we know, but the next generation too, to love them and care for them. The instruction in verse 5, he tells them, repent and do the former things. Get back to what you are doing. He says, repent or I will remove your lampstand. He's saying, if you don't change your ways, your church will cease to exist. Do the former things. An overcomer must be willing to admit when they're wrong and not be afraid to change. They could hear the words of Jesus and say, yeah, I know you think that we should change, and I know you think we should love you more and go back to the former things, but you know, I think we've been around for 40 years as a church. How are you to tell us like what to do? A stubborn person refuses to change. But an overcomer goes, you know what? What part of this is on me and what do I need to do to be different? Remember from my examples earlier about marriage? How do you save a marriage? How do you save your relationship if you've gotten too comfortable when you start drifting apart? Was it the same advice here is the same advice that was given to the Ephesian church. Do the things that you used to do. You know, take care of yourself. Go out on dates. Tell that person you love them. Do things that you used to do. Do the things that you needed to do to be close once more. These are things that you used to do when you're dating, but through comfort and complacency, we've forgotten them, myself included. There was a day I wouldn't even let my wife do my laundry. Now she does my laundry. You get comfortable and complacent. That's what happens. So I want you to consider this perspective when it comes to your relationship with God about doing the former things that you used to do. Do you remember what you were like when you were first saved? Remember what you were like when you first became a Christian? You were excited. You were full of enthusiasm. You were passionately in love with Jesus and lived for him with with zeal. You read your Bible. You went to Bible studies. You might have even attended more than one service in a week. You loved to worship and pray. But then as time went on, the relationship got comfortable. It's not that you were sinning, or, but you fell out of love with Jesus and just stopped doing the things that you used to do. So if you're feeling far from God and 
And don't throw rocks or tomato cans at me when I say this. Okay. If you feel far from God, what changed? Scriptures tell us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So he hasn't changed. It says of the the scriptures in terms of God's love for us is that he's loved us with an everlasting love. So that means it doesn't expire. He loves us with an agape love, an unconditional love. So if we're feeling far from God, who changed? God or us? I'll leave that up to you to think about. Question is, how do you get that love back? How do you rekindle that love with God? Verse 5 said, repent and do the former thing. In other words, to repent means like I recognize this is wrong. My neglect is wrong. My, my wandering from you is wrong. My, my lack of devotion for you is, is, has been waning, and that's wrong. And so Lord, so, Lord, forgive me for those times that I've done that. Can I, we need to get back to a place as a society and as a church where we look at things that are wrong and we say, I'm, I'm sorry for that. God, I shouldn't have done that. When we've wronged someone else in our life, we should go to that person and go, you know, I'm sorry about the way I treated you. I shouldn't have treated you that way. That was completely wrong. Unfortunately, today we make excuses like, well, it's because of my condition. It's because of my disposition. It's because of my mental health. It's because of my upbringing. It's like none of those things matter. Whatever was happening in your past is, is, is the past. Whoever raised you, they're gone. Okay? But what happens now is like, what do you do with who you are? Do you perpetuate the cycle of what you were raised in, or do you break the cycle of what you've been raised in and start a new chapter and start a new life? I choose to believe that the new life in Christ is not just simply I have eternal life when I die, but the new life in Christ starts right now. And maybe you have not been perfect. Maybe you haven't been where you should be. Maybe things don't look like the way that you want them to be. But guess what? The new life starts now. As we walk in with him, as we live for him, as we love him. When we love somebody, you change, don't you? I never liked musicals until I started dating that lady over there. I never even tried seafood until this lady over here, you know? You change for when you love somebody. You do things you didn't think that you would ever do before. Like watching romantic comedies and stuff. You never did that before. But what made you do it? What made you do it? What made you do it? Love. Love for that person. Love being with that person even if you hate what we were watching at that time. You love them and you do it, right? And the single men don't understand it, but one day you will. One day you will. Jesus help you, he will. <laughs> Same thing holds true with God. When you're with and in relationship with Jesus, he changes who you are. When you love him, when you care for him, when you get back to the former things, stop looking at the past of your life the way the Christian that you used to be in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s with regret and longing as though that person's gone. It's still you. He's still the same. And the Spirit of God is still the same within you. So what needs to happen is that, yes, we're tired and weary from life in this world, but get back to the former things. Get back in relationship with Jesus, and things will start to make sense, and they'll start to work out again. How do we rekindle that relationship? Get back to spending time with God. 
Get back to spending time in prayer and the Word. Get back to worship. Get back to going to church more than once a month. Get back to hearing his voice and doing what he says. Don't wait until you feel it. Do it and the feelings follow. Jesus closes off his instruction with a promise of reward and the reward is this. To him who overcomes, to the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now notice he says to the churches, but then he individualizes it. It says to him, the individual who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is midst of the paradise of God, the, the fruit of the tree of life is eternal life. God promises to everyone who overcomes this world, to everyone who follows after him, to everyone who has faith in him, eternal life is yours. He says you'll get to eat of the tree that even Adam and Eve didn't get to eat from. Think about that. Adam and Eve sin, they fall short of God's glory. They are kicked out of the garden before they can eat of the tree of life and remain sinful forever. So they couldn't eat it, but you can. What does that mean? Is that when you die, or when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first, you will be with him forever in heaven. No more death, no more dying, no more suffering, no more sciatica, no more COPD, none of that other stuff that you had to deal with now that you're older, but you will be part of the tree of life. You will be in heaven forever worshiping God without any of the infirmities or the difficulties of this life that you experience now. That's what we have to look forward to in him. Let me wrap this up by saying this. In order to have that, you have to have an ear to hear what God's spirit is saying, not just to his church, but to you as well. If you listen carefully, God will speak to you. In fact, God might be speaking to you this morning. You may have never been here before. Maybe you've been here a couple times. I don't know where you are spiritually, but God does. Maybe you served God at one point in time and you've walked away from him. You've, you've wandered away from him and you just happened to come to church this morning. God is still speaking today and he's calling you back to him says, if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would not speak of himself, but would always point people to Jesus. Even if you're far from him, God will speak to you. He wants you to return to him and to love him the way that you used to. This morning, if you are hearing my voice, don't let it just be my voice, but let God's Spirit speak to you even now. That if you have not yet given your heart to Jesus, if you've never have not yet lived for him. I'm not talking about going to church. I could care less about the, the, the idea of organized religion and church. I'm not looking to recruit people for a church. I'm looking to recruit people for heaven. And there's a place for you at God's table. There's a place for you in heaven this morning. But you have to say to yourself, I'm tired of being defeated by the things that I've been defeated by over and over again. You have to get to a point where you're sick of doing the things that you've always done with the same results that you've always been in. And until you get sick of that, you will always find yourself in the cycle over and over again. But when you've come to the end of that and you say, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for a new life. It is Christ that offers new life in him. 
eternal life in heaven, but also a new beginning in him. But there's one catch to it. You have to. You have to follow him. It's not you doing your thing and Jesus kind of tags along for the ride. It's you decide to follow Jesus and walk with him today. If you listen today, he's speaking. Something inside of you. You may not hear an audible voice. If you're like, I'm looking for that audible voice. Can I tell you in my life experience, it's very rare that I hear the audible voice of God, but rather a deep impression in my heart that says, I need to do this. I need change. I need, I need Jesus. I need to do something. It's God's spirit by impression, which you know it's not you because you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to go to an altar and kneel. You wouldn't want a total stranger praying for you. You wouldn't want to change the way that you live, but something inside you pulls and, and, and just tugs at your heart, and you know it's not you. It's God's spirit speaking to you and telling you today, now is the time to follow because time is short. I wonder, are you hearing his voice today? I'm wondering how many overcomers are in the room who will do so not by their own strength, but the strength that God provides. I'm wondering how many people today, when they hear the voice of the Lord speaking to them about things that need to change, will they uh, fall over like so many times before, or will they rise to the occasion and say, yes, Lord, I hear your spirit calling me, and I will follow I will love you, and with your help, I will do it. Can we just close our eyes this moment? God's been so gracious and good, and if you've been patient to listen to me this morning, whether you're here or online, I assure you that God is speaking to people right now. This morning, he's calling you to a new life in Christ. This morning, he's calling you to that life that has meaning and purpose and significance, that life that you've been pursuing and chasing through other means, but now he is making a way for you to have the life that God wants for you, the plan that he's always had for you, which his plan is always good. Today is the day to choose to follow him. So this morning, if you've never followed Jesus, you've only gone to church, you've only been associated with Christians, you've only visited here maybe once or twice, but you can't recall a time where you said, you know what, Jesus, I choose to follow you. And not only that you said it, but you actually did it. This morning, this call is for you. If you're ready to follow Jesus and you've never made that decision to follow before, if that's your desire today, we just simply slip up a hand without anyone else looking around. Just between you, me, and God, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm gonna give that a couple more minutes. Anyone at all? I'm ready to follow Jesus. Then for those that are here, maybe you've followed Jesus for a long time, but you've forgotten your first love. It's not that you were doing anything sinful or doing anything bad, but the simple fact of the matter is is that you've drifted from him, and you are not as passionate as you once were. You don't love him the way that you used to. You don't get excited about the things of God that you used to get excited about. God is calling you back to passion and zeal for him today. If you're saying this morning, God, I need your life, your zeal in me once more to love you like I once did. If that's your heart today, will you raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to love you like I once did. Praise the Lord. Anyone else this morning before we pray? Then let's pray and ask God to help us. God, we thank you. Thank you for loving us first. 
Thank you that you loved us, Lord, even when we didn't even know who you were. Before we were even born, Lord, you saw us. When you were on that cross, Lord God, you knew that you were dying for us and for everyone that is in this world. God, I pray for overcomers today. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, help those to overcome what is in their life that is uh, in the way of them serving you, in the way of living a life that is meaningful and purposeful. I pray they would push those things out of the way and follow after you. I pray for those, Lord God, that once love you passionately, zealously, Lord, that, Lord, everything that they talked about and everything they focused on was Jesus. But, Lord, sometimes as we've gotten older, we've slowed down, we've gotten discouraged, we've gotten frustrated when things didn't work out the way that we thought they would. Lord, sometimes we lose heart. I pray today, help them to fall in love with you once more, to recognize that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you've loved us with an everlasting love. I pray today, Lord, help them to get back to those former things and to realize, Lord, you're still speaking You're still loving, you're still guiding, you're still directing. Guide them, direct them, and help them to follow you as we look at these last days, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.